0: morning everybody so the reading this morning is from 1 John 3 verses 11 to 24 and I'm reading this from the NRSV version for this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another we must not be like Cain who was from the evil one and murdered his brother And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods, and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help little children let us love not in word or speech but in truth and action and by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us for god Is greater than our hearts and he knows everything beloved if our hearts do not condemn us we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us all who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us this is the word of the Lord (coughs)
1: Thank you, Simon. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, spoken through John or written through John. And we ask that um, this morning you would align our spirits and our souls with your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the letter of one John. I've not been here because I've been over at Buncton, I've been at Washington, and so I haven't heard, apart from James's first message on the letters of John, I haven't heard any of the other sermons taught here on, on this letter. So it's very possible that I will cover things that have already been covered. Please forgive me if I do. It never hurts to hear it more than once, um, but John... Repeats himself quite a lot, and so um, particularly in this letter, so uh, it 's quite likely that i 'll say things that have already been said um, and um, let 's just go let 's go straight in and um, uh, verse eleven for this is the message you 've heard from the beginning that we should love one another now John here is referring to a couple of things he 's referring to Uh, In Deuteronomy 6, where we read um, about uh, something called the Shema, which says, um, I'm forgetting how it's beginning, but it's basically the greatest commandment. It goes, for the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that is a prayer that the the Jewish people use uh, regularly. I don't know how regularly, uh, but it forms a huge part of the faith. And so, everybody that John was writing to would have been using this from, you know, in their family life for, you know, since they were born. And, um, and of course, he's referring to the beginning being the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but he's also referring back to Moses and what he brought through the law. Also, in Leviticus, uh, that book that you all love and you enjoy reading so much, um, in Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18. He says, um, let's just read it, because then um, I won't misquote it. Um, He says this, um, You shall not take vengeance, now this is sort of God speaking through Moses, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we often quote love your neighbor as yourself, from Jesus. Because, you know, we know that he said it. Um, But it's there in the Old Testament in Leviticus. And so John, at the beginning of uh, our passage this morning, talks about the beginning and how this command to love one another has been with us since the beginning. You'll know this is the same John that wrote John's Gospel. And uh, he refers... Um, in John's gospel, a number of times he says, love one another. He quotes Jesus in John 15. Uh, Jesus says, you know, when he talks about the vine and the branches. And Jesus says uh, quite a few times in that passage, love one another. He also says, greater love hath no man, no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Next week, we're talking about remembrance, aren't we? And we're thinking at some level at all those who have laid down their lives on behalf of others. Uh, greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So, this um, idea about loving one another is, is very, uh, it's kind of foundational within the Jewish culture and in the culture that John is referring to here. But there is a newness to it, because Jesus has come. And they are exploring in all of the epistles, what does all this mean? We've got what Jesus told us, and bear in mind, when they're writing this, they wouldn't have had access to uh, the gospel accounts. It would have all been oral, so they'll have heard the stories And people will have retold the things that Jesus said. Um, And so they wouldn't have had the Bibles like we have to understand it all. So through these letters, they're explaining what Jesus meant. And, uh, And this would have been foundational underneath it all. But immediately before this, John speaks about Antichrist. We looked at that passage two or three weeks ago. A bit longer, actually, because we've had a half-term break. About a month ago. We looked at the passage in chapter 2 about antichrists. And there, uh, John is very clear that these antichrists have been living among them. They were members of the church. And then they, basically, from what we can understand from the letter, subverted the nature of who Jesus was in their understanding. And out of it, um, produced a way of living that didn't... love love their neighbor. And they remove themselves from the church and and John calls them antichrists. Um, So we need to understand from that that this is really important. And we know it's important because of what Jesus says later on. But before we get there, let's go to uh, verse 12. We must not be like Cain. Now, who was Cain? You, You all know, I think, Chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain uh, basically committed the second sin, as far as we know from Scripture. And um, he killed his brother. So we must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And you'll remember, I think, from the story that uh, they brought offerings to God. And Cain brought uh, an offering, just a, you know, random offering of produce um, from the land. Cain tilled the land. Um, Abel was a shepherd. But Abel brought the best. He brought the best produce, the first fruits, I think it says in Genesis, and the fat of the flock, which was the, basically it meant this is the best stuff. So um, Abel's offering was incredibly sacrificial. He gave of the best to the Lord and uh, lived off that which wasn't the best. Whereas Cain's offering wasn't that. And in it, the Lord blesses Abel and not Cain. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says to Cain, Careful, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. If you can imagine like a, you know... um, I can't think where it is in the New Testament where it talks about, um, one of you clever people can tell me, um, where it talks about the enemy prowling around like a roaring lion, um, uh, waiting to you know, attack. Um, this is a very similar passage in uh, Genesis 4. And, and it says, sin's desire is for you. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. It wants to take you. And then he says to Cain, um, you must master it. And of course, we know that Cain did not master it. He allowed the offense um, about his brother to go deep into his being. And he mulled on it and he chewed over it. And the anger started to rise in in his soul. And he got angry and he got jealous and he did not master it. And it spiraled into something really violent. Which led to him murdering his brother. So obviously we, I think all of us will be familiar with that story. We must not be like Cain. Who was from the evil one. And then John goes on to say, Do not be astonished brothers and sisters. That the world hates you. Why is he saying it? Well, Uh, If you think about the story, he's immediately after speaking about Cain and Abel. And and Cain got to a place where he hated Abel, so he killed him. So he's talking about that, but he's referring to something else. And he's referring to these antichrists that I mentioned earlier. He's referring to the fact that they have separated themselves from the church uh, in pride, and they are living a different way, and hate is present among them. They are not loving one another. And he's saying, do not be surprised. Uh, You know, partly about them, that the the world hates you. But of course, beyond that, and we can see the nuances of this in our own world, those who don't know Jesus. The church gets a a really bad rap in the media, doesn't it? And uh, for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes those reasons are very legitimate. But often it's misunderstood. I've heard uh, people like um, Richard Dawkins and and those kind of guys who are quite anti-church in their um, atheism and uh, talk about how um, we humanists take responsibility. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand what we believe, do you? (laughs) Because the gospel is not about not taking responsibility. It's absolutely about accepting responsibility. You can't receive the gospel if you don't take responsibility. And there's obviously a sort of misunderstanding about you know, some of the things that, that are taught in the church. Yes, our sins are forgiven. But they are our sins. We need to take responsibility. If confession is not about taking responsibility, I don't know what is. Sorry, I'm going off on something I didn't mean to talk about. The nine o'clock didn't get that. <laughs> um, okay, do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Um, it does in some ways, and there's all sorts of reasons for for Cain and Abel. And in Cain's life, it was it was jealousy uh, and a sense of this is not fair, and those kinds of things. Um, For the world's reasons, they're different. And sometimes I think it's weird because in some ways we're after the same thing. Here, John is saying, love one another. I think very often the world is saying, love one another. But it just comes at it from a very different angle um, to what we do. So uh, I'm not going to go after that. I just wanted to throw it out there to say that, you know, that is out there in, in the world. Um, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. It's so easy, isn't it, in our journey to forget the glory and the wonder of passing from death into life. We, we live in life. That is our template We used to have the template of death. Certainly in my life, before I gave my life to Jesus, I operated from the template of death. But I've been taken out of that through the blood of Jesus. And he has won me from that place and and put me into the kingdom of lies and life. And so it's, you know, we can read a verse like that and just go, boom, just cross over it. But it's so important to stop, isn't it? That thing that used to be my life, no longer is. And so, uh, so often I kind of forget you know, where I've come from. And it's really important uh, that you know, I don't live in it, but that I still remember it. That's why we do communion in church. That's why we think about the cross. It doesn't end at the cross. It's not the end of the story. Good Friday is not, you know, where it finishes. We have to get to Easter Sunday, the resurrection. But, um, and we have to focus as well on that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is. A, I'm, I'm going all off over the place. Sorry. Let me get back to the passage and then we'll stay on point. We know that we pass from death to life because we love one another. And, and John here, very similar to James where he talks about faith and deeds, is saying, if you have passed from death to life, your life will look like loving others, is, is what he is saying. And, um, and it's really challenging and then he goes on to say, whoever does not love abides in death. Again it's, again, it's important to understand this thing about the Antichrists, because there are things, if we don't, that we won't understand in John's letters. In, in chapter 3, he talks about those who sin are children of the devil. I'm telling you, I'm not a child of the devil, but I still do sin. Now, I don't say I'm without sin, um, but when he talks about that, he is talking about these antichrists who are saying, no, there's nothing in us that is sinful. And, and therefore, they are children of the devil because they are denying that there is any sin within them. And John is not referring that to the people of God but he, because he goes on to say that we are dearly loved children of our Father in heaven. That is the position that we carry. Um, but of course we do sometimes sin. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, So all who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. And immediately before that, he says, whoever does not love abides in death. Now, I don't abide in death. But I do think sometimes love struggles to find its place outworking in my behavior. Does that make sense? Yes, good. I know I look like the picture of perfection, but I'm not. Okay, I mess up all the time. Ask my kids. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> it will be very embarrassing. I, um, you know, sometimes I, um, when I reflect back on some of the things I may have said or, be- or the way I behaved... Um, you know, if, if you want to know someone's real struggles, talk to their husband or wife, talk to their children, you know, talk to their parents. All the bad stuff comes out at home, doesn't it? I, I don't know if it does for all of you, but it does for me. And um, uh, it's so much easier to let go of uh, seeking to live for Jesus when I'm surrounded by people who can't get rid of me. <laughs> You know what I, mean? I like it's sort of love is this amazing thing, and we I put it as the goal of my life. When I was, um, I think I was about 18, 19, I was in a prayer time. I came up with this thing, uh, a simple phrase, and it became. I put it at the bottom of my emails, and it just said this: "Love God, love His people." And I was like blown away that the revelation that I'd got. And then, of course, uh, someone said to me, Jim, that's the greatest commandment. It's not yours. Um, (laughs) I'd pilfered Jesus' teaching and the shamer and um, thought that that was some revelation God had given me. Yeah, funny how it happens, isn't it? (laughs) But the point was, in that, I sought to align my life with those two things. Love God and love people. That's what Jesus calls us to. So that is a... A great foundation for all of us. Love God and love Jesus. The summary of John's teaching is that. In the Gospel of John and in his letters. Look, uh, verse 23 says this. And this is his commandment. You'll notice that John often talks about the commandment. He does it in the Gospel of John and he does it here in his letters. He talks about this commandment. And this is his commandment. That we should... Believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. And I mentioned that, you know, he talks about it in um, John 15. uh, It's in John 17, you know, throughout the gospel is this thing to love one another. And I, I set that as my goal, but I fail all the time. And I wish I didn't. And it bothers me and sometimes sometimes I think back over the way I've spoken to one of my children uh, and, and it just, it hurts and it cuts. Why was I so lacking in grace in that comment? Why, just because they were having fun and screaming and squealing or whatever was going on, you know, in the environment and it was so loud and, you know, maybe they were winding each other up, I don't know, whatever the scenario is. Um, Or or maybe I just had a migraine uh, or maybe I just was exhausted and hadn't slept well or whatever it is, but for some reason I struggle to love like Jesus did, even though I've set it as the course for my life. Even though I know that is what is required um, from the Gospels. It's what I'm called to. And I I don't think any one of us could question whether we were called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because it's absolutely there. Jesus says it. He affirms the Old Testament through it. He affirms Leviticus. And then John obviously on the back of what Jesus has said is, is saying it all over again. Love one another. And where I want to take it today is, is, is to verse um, 16. And this is just how I've come to uh, read this passage, really. Um, I'll jump to verse 18 too. But verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And then it goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. We know love by this. And I think this is a huge verse that can have many layers to it. We know love. What does that mean? Well, love, you know, who is the source of all love? It's God, isn't it? John himself says uh, in the next passage we're going to, God is love. And, And love is not God. Don't go around thinking that. But God is love. If you go around thinking that love is God, you will misinterpret how to love people, and you'll you, you'll think that love is just something that yeah. I won't get. I'll keep going off on one. God is love. He is the source of it all, and what it looks like is Him. What it looks like is Jesus, and that, of course, is what we are called to emulate. But it is so difficult. You know, there are times where I find it really easy to love well. And I love those times. Those are the times my heart does not condemn me. And, and John talks about it in the passage. When our heart does not condemn us, everything is good. It feels like we're pleasing God and all of that. But I, boy, do I know when the conviction comes that I've got it wrong. And I need that conviction because I need to be transformed into his likeness. And if I don't think I need to be transformed, I'm going to go around being a muppet. I'm going to go around not loving people properly. And in this verse, I, it, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. I, I feel that's where I need to go when I stop loving or when I'm you know, behaving in a way that doesn't manifest love. And that might mean that I shout at the children or it might mean that I, uh, you know, I have a disagreement with Dolly or something and the way I do it is just poor because I'm not living as a beloved son or, you know, I'm living more like an orphan. And so my behavior towards her is less than gracious. And I need this so much because even though I've lived the Christian life for a long time, I have so much further to go. And we see it in the life of Paul, don't we? In, uh, he, he says like, almost like this the closer I get to the light, the more exposed I get to the light, the worse sort of I see my sin. It, it kind of, you know, the closer we get to Jesus, the, the, the closer we get to perfection and who he is in all his fullness the more aware we become of our lack and our inability to live like him. And and so there is something in the Christian journey towards sanctification, which is the process of becoming holy and like him, where the further you get down the line, the greater your sin becomes. It's not that it becomes greater. It's that we are more aware of it, more exposed to it, and more troubled by it. Because I should be bigger than this. I should be overcoming on this and it still gets me. And um, and I find, and this is where I w- want to kind of focus it, that in those moments where I lose it, and I don't mean I scream and shout, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but where I lose the sense of peace and core identity of me as a son, that's when I need to go Jesus, and to be reminded of his arms pinned to that cross where he paid for my sin, where he took what I deserved so that I could get what he deserved. We know this love by this, that he laid down his life for us. If I am able to focus, you know, let's say in a moment of Uh, not loving well I'm able to step back and become peaceful or, or just step out of the situation and go Jesus I'm stuck everything in me right now wants to burn with rage or you know I'm being a bit extreme here but whatever those feelings are that all of us experience at points whatever it is that's causing me to not be able to remain peaceful in front of my child who's being challenging right now, or in front of this person who's being challenging right now, I, whatever that is, Jesus, I need you right now. I need to stop and reflect on your arms of love pinned to that cross that are welcoming me. Because although they're surrendered to death, it's an open-armed embrace ready to welcome us in, ready to welcome me in. And if I can bring myself to take myself to Jesus and say, I haven't got it in me, because in the moment for whatever reason it feels like I don't, I need to be reminded that I do, because it's him. And I can get myself and go, Jesus, I'm sorry, I am nothing without you. I can't do this. Without you. And I'm able to receive his love of his arms outstretched. And to go, whoa, those arms were pinned to the cross for me. And from that, if I'm able to receive his love towards me. Like in verse 18, it says little children in the NRSV. It's actually beloved. Is the the Greek word there. Beloved. Beloved. That means that I am a chosen, prized possession of the Father. That word beloved means chosen. It means prized. It means dearly loved. And he says, out of that, out of that, beloved, out of that, let us love. Not in word or speech, anyone can do that. But in truth and action, our behavior needs to look like love. And it comes out of my beloved. And so his arms on the cross, I just find that a helpful image. It might be something else for you. But what he has done for me because of the Father's love for me, which is so utterly, ridiculously extraordinary, If I can receive that in here, I can live it out there. And my life starts to look like his. And every time my behavior looks not like Jesus, it's an indicator that I'm not receiving the Father's love. And so I don't do this in the way that I want to. Ask Dolly. She'll challenge me and say, come on in you know really well and but it's it's so easy to make excuses for behaving badly and actually I'm called to something else I I wanted to share one story um this uh which I found really um troubling this is quite a while ago I think around uh seven eight years ago and I I came across this YouTube channel. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a a YouTube channel by this guy who's a a Christian leader, and he does this stuff for young people. And, you know, I think all of it's really good, and it has a huge following. Um, And, uh, I mean, I'm talking about millions in terms of following, huge following. And at one point, I came across a video where he was um, bringing a song before the young people and saying, this song is endemic of a a bad belief um, about Jesus and how he loves us and how we love him. And uh, I come with the name of the song, it's a Jesus Culture song, Jesus Culture, the youth movement that came out of Bethel Church and their worship teams, they're known as Jesus Culture. And one of their songs, um, he said in his video, it has this line and he, he got it wrong. He said, it says, my heart is in lust for you. Now, it doesn't say that. Um, If you listen to the recording and you don't know what it says and you're trying to work it out, you could think that it said that. The actual words are, my heart is enlarged for you. Now, you can hear the difference, right? My heart is enlarged for you by fixing my eyes on you, of course, Uh, who would question that but he got it wrong and so this whole video that had gone out to millions of young people criticizing Jesus culture for a vile lyric in a song that actually no one in Jesus culture ever wrote is being absolutely hounded by this guy who's got a massive following and I thought this is really wrong and I knew the song so I knew it was the wrong line so, I sent him an email, and I just said, "Hey, you don't know me i'm a pastor in I was in London at the time I'm just concerned about something you mentioned in one of your videos um, here's the lyric that you, how you quoted it here's the actual lyric um, you know and, and the whole premise that you built up around that is is not quite right. Is there anything you could do to sort of?" you know, put it right, and, and, and help the young people know that it was just a mistake, a mistake, you know, and um, he wrote back saying, oh, I will absolutely not do that, it's a vile movement, and all of this, and I was like, "Oh wow, it's a bit intense, and I, I just thought, I, I felt, I'm like, Lord, should I ask again, and I felt prompted to, to do so, and in, in graciously as I could, I said, hey, I understand that you don 't appreciate you know what what 's coming out of that movement. Um, I have found it life changing it 's really helped me. I, I realize that we can see things differently, but you got it wrong you know you 've misquoted it and you 've built a whole message on it and now it makes them look bad to millions of people and that 's just not fair um, what what would jesus say (laughs) and he all he said was i promise you i will think about it but i'm not going to do anything right now and it just i just i was so mortified i was gutted i'm like how can you read the gospels how can you read the epistles and think that's okay and i I don't want to judge him for what he did but it just it bothered me because i It's so easy to rip people up. It's so easy to attack something that we don't understand or that we have a different mindset on. But the thing with this book is um, you can't read it without interpreting it. You bring your life to this book and you interpret it through that filter. And everything that you know about jesus everything that you know from old testament history new testament history you bring it to this book to try and understand it all of us are making interpretive decisions of the word of god probably every single day and we don't even know we're doing it because we just it's part of it it goes with it we interpret it differently and, and james might say something different to this passage than i would there's nothing wrong with that um But we've got to understand that there is difference in the church. And unity is not about believing exactly the same thing. It's about living with the fact that you don't believe exactly the same thing. It's about choosing to love people despite difference. I'm not advocating sin here, but I am saying that we've got to understand and realize that people will interpret things differently. And our call is to love one another. Sometimes that might require challenge, and for us to be challenged or for us to put forward a challenge. But when that happens, we need to make sure that we are doing it with one motive, and that motive is love one another. If your motive is to be correct, you will not challenge well, and it will land badly if your motive is uh, this person is wrong and I've got to sort it out, it won't land well. Our motive in any challenge must be to love the person in front of me. And that's what we're called to. Love one another. And just so to finish, it all hinges on, I think, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. In that last song that we had that um, Libby led us in, I've not heard that song before um, today, and I I thought it was so powerful, you know, uh, the way it talks about singing the name of Jesus or shouting the name of Jesus over various situations. Uh, Some really deep, powerful truth there. One of the lines, I can't remember it exactly, but it said, "I I will declare the name of Jesus over anxiety or something like that, okay? Now, I know from my own life and from lives of people I've spoken to, that even though we believe in the fullness of the gospel and everything that Jesus has won, we experience things in life that don't align with it. So we experience fear. We experience anxiety. And we're like, well, I, I shouldn't because, you know, the gospels say, uh, well, yeah, the gospel say it, but the whole of the scripture says, do not fear. It, do not fear is repeated more than any other commandment in scripture. And, and so there's all this stuff and everyone says, oh, perfect love casts out fear. The misunderstanding of that passage. Uh, hopefully we'll get to that when we get there because it's in 1 John. Um, but um, the, what, in this, um, it, he says, John says, um, this is his, his commandment, that we should believe in the name of Jesus That means in everything that he's won for us. When it says in his name, it's the fullness of who he is, what he's won, and who he is today, seated at the right hand of the Father. And we, um, so often, when I experience any form of anxiety or any form of anything that doesn't feel like the kingdom is because I'm believing a lie. And normally it's because I'm believing a lie about him. He's not going to come through for me. Or something like that. And it's an indicator to me that things are not aligned. And I need to get before the cross again. And that's just where I want to finish there today. Because, you know, the command to love one another is challenging enough in its own. I set it as the compass and the, the code or the foundation of my life. But I fail all the time. Sorry. But I do. And I I hope we all relate to that. Um, But for me, it's an indicator. Jim, there's something not aligned. Chuck Parry has written a book called Alignment. Uh, Chuck Parry, a great friend of our church, he's done some loads of stuff here. Uh, And he talks about this thing of alignment in this book. And it's about getting aligned on my identity and alignment with who I am uh, and allowing everything to be aligned like the plumb line of Jesus throughout the whole of scripture. And everything centers around that so that we're aligned with him. As soon as I go off in a direction that doesn't look like Jesus, I'm not aligned. And it should be an alarm bell to me to get in line. If I'm experiencing anger with an individual, they may have wronged me, but I need my response to be one of love. That's not to say you can never be angry, but it is to say in your anger do not sin. Sorry, I could go on for hours. I'm saying too much. Um, it's, It's so simple, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. It really is. And that's what John says. The whole of John's letters are about that. It's all about Jesus. Sorry, if you need to go and pick up, young ones, now's the time. And it's so easy to move the gaze of my attention away from him. And as soon as I do it, my life starts to go in a different direction. And I start believing things that aren't true. And I start behaving in ways that I don't want to behave. So can we all today come afresh, Libby let us, Libby, no, where is she, she's somewhere around there, oh she's there, let us so beautifully in that worship, so focused on on Jesus, and boy did I need that this morning, Um, but let's make him centre of focus in the day to day, especially when it feels harder. Because that's when, for me, that's when I really need it. I'm going to pray and then hand back to Paddy. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you sent Jesus. And there is no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends as he did, his arms wide upon that cross in an open-armed embrace of surrender which welcomes us. He surrendered his love, or should I say his love, surrendered to those nails that we might be able to be welcomed into an open-armed embrace, leaving sin and mess and darkness and anxiety at the cross to be raised up through his blood, through his resurrection, into the fullness of who you've called us to be. The same power that raised him from the dead is alive and at work within us, Paul teaches us. And every time that we veer off that true north, every time we veer off that heading of loving God and loving one another. May we have the temerity to be reminded that we need to realign our gaze, that we need to receive afresh as dearly beloved children, prized, cherished, chosen, the object of his affection. And I ask for all of us, Father, that we would be able to know what it means to be cherished as the object of your affection, to receive your love into the deepest places of our being. That our life would look like yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.